My name is Elizabeth Boykevich. My friends call me EB, so that means you can call me EB as well. I am so glad you're here. I spent the last 20 years in entertainment, first working in casting for theater, TV, and film. Most recently, I was the head of casting and talent while helping build two TV networks and brands at the Walt Disney Company. I am a leadership coach and facilitator, I'm a mindfulness guide, and I am a human being trying my best to human well. I dig all things around growth, creativity, curiosity, and storytelling. I realized there wasn't a place where actors could get to know casting directors and ask questions for free, so here we are. We collected over 100 questions from actors and we'll be answering them alongside a different casting colleague each episode. A giant thank you to everyone who submitted questions. Links to submit a question for the podcast and our guests can be found in the notes section of each episode. I hope this supports and encourages you on your acting journey. I love you. Keep going. The world needs your voice and your creativity. Welcome to Off Book. Happy New Year, everyone. I'd love to introduce you to Seth Yankowitz. He has one of the most complete and comprehensive casting resumes around. Seth has worked as a high-level studio movie casting executive, a high-level studio television casting executive, and now as an independent casting director. Seth works in and on every genre and type of show and film. Some credits include The Hangover, New Girl, How I Met Your Father, and Blades of Glory. Enjoy. Thank you so much for coming on and doing this. Thank you for having me. I'm so, so happy to have you. I, Seth, our friends that we have in common on the representative side, when I told them you were doing it, they were like, Seth loves actors. Like, you do. The number one thing is like how passionate you are about actors. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks I, for having me. Would you share your story of where you grew yeah. up, how you got yeah. into business, yeah. how you started yeah. casting? I was born in New York raised in Florida, shockingly enough, and always wanted to be an actor. And I did everything kids do to, that are from not LA and don't have parents who are gonna or know about LA, right? right so right. I didn't like go to pilot season as an eight-year-old. That was never a thing in my world. I didn't even know that existed, to be honest with you. It just wasn't who I was. But I did all the plays, all the summer camps. I went to Yale Drama. They have a high school summer drama program. And I was the only high schooler brought in that year. And Evan Yanulis, who is now the dean of Yale Drama, was my acting teacher. And I think she tried to tell me I wasn't a good actor when I was young, but I'm not sure I heard it. I did all the things. And then I knew I wanted to go to drama school for college. I had to get a four-year degree as my parents' rule. So I applied to, I wanted to go to NYU. I wanted to go to Tisch. We'll be honest to say, I don't know that my grades or my SAT scores at the time wanted me to go to NYU. So I early applied because like I went to a private high school and had a great dean who was like, early apply, you have a better So we early applied. I got waitlisted on the early apply. So I was then going to go to Emerson. And I, so I auditioned for Emerson, Florida State, University of Miami, Rutgers, and Carnegie Mellon. I think. Like I don't all remember. Of, all I don't, of the great theater programs. Yeah. And I don't think I actually went all the way to Carnegie Mellon's audition because I wound up getting into Tish. 
in the end. And I think it's because when you audition for Tish, you audition. So we flew to New York. I And the teacher who started the experimental theater wing, ETW at Tish, just so happened. He was the, my auditioner. And when I said ETW, I don't think kids were picking experimental theater at that stage in the 90s. Right. Right? They wanted like the big flashier circle in the square, playwrights right. horizons, right. musical theater, like the stuff, Stella Adler, like the stuff people knew about. So I got in. Okay. It was like my world was coming together. I was going to be either Tom Cruise or a soap opera star. <laughs> those were my two, those were my two things. And I got through first semester and hated it. Yeah. Like my whole life went to, you have no purpose anymore. All I ever wanted to do was be an actor. And now I had zero desire to be an actor. So I went to the school and I was like, I don't think I want to do acting. They were like, great, pick a math or science class and we'll put you into the normal track. And I was like, I'm sorry, did you say math and science class? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, I'm going to stay at Tish. <laughs> and I literally, when I say I suffered through the next two and a half years, it was a suffer. It was a suffer for me, I'm, which is horrible to say because it's an amazing undergrad program. And in the end, sixth semester, you're allowed to do an internship and not go to class because you're doing an internship. And I was like, done. So they give you a book with 30 pages of a paragraph description of all these companies that you could do an internship at. And you have to like flip through, make a decision, interview, and hope to get an internship. And so I flipped through and read this description and blah, 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 Liz Lewis casting, commercial casting office. They do this and this. And I was like, well, this sounds interesting. It's my world and another world. And let's see. And I got the internship and that was spring 1997. And it was instantaneous love I mean I have chills now because and it's almost 30 years I found my path immediately yeah it was instantaneous because I was only an intern I got to read with actors so I was acting I got to give direction running a camera and this is truly where my love of the actor came it was born these were actors hustling in the snow in taking layers and layers off to go into a room for literally one minute and then putting it all back on and going out into the cold. We would see a hundred actors in a day's worth of casting. You literally fall in love. And you know, they're going on nine of these a day for commercials and you want them to get it so bad. What I did was I convinced them to hire me as the receptionist that summer so I could stay in New York City and work. And Liz Lewis hired me as the receptionist. And then I told NYU I was doing an internship in the fall because I didn't want to leave. And I did an internship in the fall. I was still the receptionist, but I worked my way up and became an assistant and then an associate and then a casting director. And I was the youngest commercial casting director in New York at the time. And really it was Liz Lewis, Bernie Telsey was the other big commercial casting director. He did theater, obviously, but that wasn't our world. Yeah. You know, and there was maybe Donna DeSetta, I think, if she's still around. But like, those were the people. Yeah. And I mean, I'm like 
Rob McElhaney, Ellen Pompeo, Michelle Hurt. Like those were the people coming through all the New York actors. Like those were the people, Will Arnett. Those were the people on a day to day, three, four times a day coming into our room. So my immediate and impassioned finding of my career and love, I've never done anything else since I'm 20. Yeah. You know, and I'm yep. 20 anymore. So I've only ever done this. I had been there for three years. I I always knew that I wanted more. And it was my first movie, 1986. My parents took me to see it. I cried and I knew I had an affinity for movies. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know how to obtain it. I didn't know, obviously, I never knew what casting was because no one tells you. They don't right. teach it. But I was doing a Pepto-Bismol commercial. I had seen 99 40-year-old men get nauseous from nine in the morning to six at night. And at 6.03, I walked out and gave my two weeks notice. I had no plan. I didn't know what. I just knew I'm too young to be doing this one thing for the rest of my life. And so there was a casting director who was a freelancer. And she was like, I have two Heineken commercials and two independent movies. And this is when independent movies were $500,000, the day that like really independent movie was yes. a thing. But also too, at that point in New York, actors wanted to do them. It was like- Oh yeah. It was like, oh, yeah. Dan said it's purest form and so Correct. you get people to come in and do them. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Her name was Jen Sauer and she was like, between the four jobs, I can afford your associate salary. And at that point I was like, look, I know I have to take a step back to go into TV and film, whatever, blah, blah, blah. She would make me breakfast in her West Village apartment every morning and we would get to work. And then she got a call from the women at Disney feature casting that she was recommended to do the East Coast search for a kid role in a movie. The casting director couldn't find them. They searched Texas, all the usual places. And she was like, I don't, too busy. I go, I don't know anything about anything, but if they're calling you and saying they want you, you're approved. <laughs> I don't even know where that word, like in my vernacular came at that stage. I was like, look, I just did a huge like telecommunications campaign on the commercial space. And I cast a whole like baseball team of kids. Let me do the kid search and you do the other stuff, blah, blah, blah. So we did, we, we did it all. And I remember we had an open call and Donna Morong, who was the vice president of feature casting at the time, came out for a callback. She was like, I don't know, guys. She's like, we need to see more people. You know, Marsha's going to be here tomorrow. Marsha Ross, who was the executive vice president, sorry. And Marsha came out and was like, oh, guys, her director's coming. And... Now, mind you, I am the East Coast search assistant. You don't get any lower on the totem pole of <laughs> casting hierarchy yes. than that, right? And I stood up in the session and I said, look, you guys are missing the kid. And I, you could hear the heads turn around. Who are you? Why are you speaking? What are you saying? And I was like, he's a year too young, but he's exactly what we're looking for. And Marsha looked at me and said, you better get him in here tomorrow before the director comes. So the kid came and they were like, he's got to go to the director. And John Turtletaub was the director, came in 
The movie was called The Kid and Spencer Breslin, who I suggested, got the part. That was the pinnacle moment where I had people on my side. It took a year before I said, I'm going to go to L.A. And what happened was Donna Maron called. It was a, maybe a little over a year. I had sent out letters saying, I live in L.A. now. And I put my friend Candace's home address on it on Coldwater Canyon. And Donna called and said, "There's an ass- we need an assistant on a movie. And she's, oh, but it's in L.A. And I was like, oh, no big deal. I'm in L.A. And she was like, oh, right, right, right. Your letter said that. And then she goes, oh, but the interview's in New York. And I was like, oh, my God, so weird. I happen to be in New York right now. And because I was literally on the elliptical at Crunch when she called. And so anyway, that interview was with Bonnie Timmerman for the movie Pearl Harbor. I went up to the Disney offices in on 50 something and whatever, met with Bonnie. By the time I flew to L.A. the next day, because I was coming to L.A., she had hired me. And so my first job was Pearl Harbor. Jerry Bruckheimer offices working for Bonnie Timmerman as the West Coast assistant. And that is what truly launched my feature casting career. I then became the associate after one movie by default because Allison left and Black Hawk Down was my second movie. And then Spy Game for Tony Scott was my third movie. It was nuts. Like it was, I was learning international cat like actors all like boom. And you know, my whole thing and sort of what I did that people didn't do then, I shared information with agents that these casting directors wouldn't because I was like, we all need to get the job done. I'm not telling you things that are going to hurt the movie. Right. If we share this and like the Chris Andrews and the Tracy Brennans and like that level now, like those were the young agents then. And they were the ones who then helped me keep going. And I bounced around and... I went in-house. I was the manager of feature casting at Fox under a woman named Donna Isaacson. And then I left. And then I became partners with this woman, Jewel Bestrop. And we were partners for five years. And she really honed my comedy casting. Yeah. Eye and ear and knowledge. And so I attribute my comedy ability to Jewel 100%. And then I wanted to get married and have kids. And I thought I needed a stable job. And I went to Fox on the network side and I had a great five years. And then I went back independent. And then I got what really was my dream job. I was the head of casting for MGM TV, film, and also Epics, the digital network. Yeah. Steve Stark, who's one of the most remarkable, he was my boss, but he's now a a producer. You will get me out of this job on a stretcher. That's how in love with this place I am. And then nobody had global pandemic on their bingo card. So sadly that job ended and I'm back independent. And so that's my whole full circle, long, long way to a short answer. But It strikes me how much there is for you about hustle, about really recognizing where the heat was for you yeah. in that you even leaned into commercial casting in that you leaned into in that audition for Spencer Breslin going no right yeah. you really were listening to your gut true and the thing that's also so interesting to me about casting is I think we're all witches or sorcerers a little bit right yeah I think yeah there really is like an eighth <laughs> sense or something that's happening but you also have to have the relationship building yeah the business smarts yeah. And the ability to play people poker, to see the entire chessboard. 
which is part of what we do. If you think about it, look, Bonnie Timmerman is a master of the ensemble. And that's what it is. It's like laying out your cards. Does this go with that, go with this and go with that. Look, if there's one thing I have, it's I have low ego in the right times. I've been fired once from a job, only once. And it wasn't my fault. But you know, sometimes in the corporate world, you take heat. But this is what I always tell actors. You know, we still audition for jobs. I mean, not all of us get offered stuff. Sometimes I get offered stuff and sometimes I have to audition for it. And it is what it is. There was one year, right when the pandemic happened and we went back freelance, I didn't get three jobs in a row. And one of them, I was like, really? Like, have you, did you see my resume? The fact that I even met on it, like, come on. And then you go, you know what, because they knew wouldn't drive or they wanted something different personality wise. So, you know, I always just go, okay, no big deal. We'll get the next one. And I think if actors realize we do that too, that they do it, it's so good in the room because it just brings us all right here, you know? Yep. It's interesting. I mean, listen, I have been on the other side of that of knowing we had super talented casting directors, but the producer didn't want to work with them or something for some reason. And Seth, we know casting is the first one to get blamed and the last one to get credit. Correct. Always. And as you said, that also is part of the casting process is casting like the right personality for the right person. And when you've been an executive at many different places, you've seen that too, where you'd be a casting person. Oh my God, they're going to kill this job, but I think the director's going to make them nuts. Yeah. 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 There's always that thing that happens too. Yeah. Yeah, we did a couple, a string of like indie movies since the pandemic, my casting partner, Ben and I, and this director, he was bananas. Like he really was. Do you know what I mean? Like biting people and screaming and never at me. So I would just listen, you know, and in the end, it ended like not great because he was a bit creepy about money. I just learned how to just listen in those moments. And then it's just like, you got to like redirect. And like he wanted the person who was going to listen to the vent about all the other departments or this person or that person. And then you just got to refocus them and talk about the actor that they need to say yes or no to. Look, I've done it all. I've worked with amazing people and people that I'm like, this job needs to end. I need to cast this now and move on. But I've been actually very lucky. I've really only had one or two of those where I've just been like, okay, let's wrap this job up my 10 weeks and you don't want to pay overages and let's make some decisions, you know? And you've always been killing it in your career, but I feel like you've had so many shows that you've been working on in the past year or so. I I have to say, in terms of where the world is, knock on wood, like I've been very lucky. I made great relationships while being the executive at MGM and Epics. And Michael Wright, who was the head of Epics, I made some big scores with him when I was on the inside. And he trusts me. We did a couple Epics shows since being out of the corporate space. And the women at 20th has always taken care of me. So I've done a bunch of shows for them. So yeah, look, it's funny. I'm sure actors feel this too. They sit and they watch something and they're like, God, I could have played that role. Or, oh. If I could have gotten the audition for that, I know what I would have done with that role. Look, I'm older now. I go, God, like I could have cast the hell out of that job, but I didn't even get the meeting. And this is what I've realized to myself. And maybe it's important for people to think about why, 
right? Like, why didn't I get that meeting or get that show? Or why aren't I up for that level? And you know what? I chose to go into the studio system and out of the studio system, into the studio system and out of the studio system. And while I was doing that, my colleagues were building the relationships of showrunners and directors because they were only doing independent. I sit back sometimes and I go, well, because you were gone for six years being an executive. And then I read through it and I go, okay, it'll come when it's time. And I still look, I've got, I have to work like 15 to 18 more years in this business. And that's a long time. So knock on wood, I get to work at this level because I've been very lucky for another 18, 20 years. And then I'll consider myself successful. I think. Thank you for sharing that. That sometimes you frame, why am I not getting that gig? Or I really want to meet on that. You've also been on the other side and the fact that you have been in and out of the studio system is going to be why some showrunners specifically want to work with you too. It's so interesting for the way you can liken your experience very much to the actor's experience. Oh, yeah. Well, I haven't had that specific comedy job, so they won't see me for comedy, but staying tenacious and staying in the game, you get the opportunities. Yeah, I'm completely humbled by the fact that agents recognize my love of actors, so thank you for sharing that. I was trained by a woman that was in every pre-read. You read for her only. That's how I still run my business. I watch every audition. And even if, like now, if we're doing multiple projects and my associate or Ben, my casting partner, do the first round of screenings for co-stars or guest stars, I still don't send anything unless I've watched everything. I take risks and give people chances because I want everyone to succeed. If an agent that I respect calls me and says, so-and-so is dying to try comedy, will you read them for this part? Yes, because you never know. Maybe this is the one role that is in their wheelhouse, but it's in a comedy. You know, I never want to miss a chance to give someone that boost or that shot or that chance because I still want people to give me that chance. You know, Seth, about how your process has changed because of the pandemic. How has that changed your process? Yeah. Or the good and the bad. So I am a very big proponent of this new self-tape world. And here's why. I, when we were doing live auditions, you could see what? 36, maybe if you were jamming 42 people a day. And that was cool. And that was a lot. Yeah. I can watch a hundred auditions a day. Now I may not get through both scenes completely over and over, but I will watch them and I'll go to the next one and make sure. I think the force of the self-tape as the first layer has helped actors be seen who maybe wouldn't necessarily have gotten seen in the first or even the second round of pre-reads. I've cast three movies and three TV shows or four TV shows now, all on on digital. Only one show did we do a live chemistry for the final two actors in two roles opposite our lead girl. 
on a soundstage because they had one from what what have you. And even that was like uncomfortable with the masks and the testing. And we all had to have a mask in, until they literally, the two actors got on and everyone's like so scared to give each other COVID. So I would say my process has changed for the better, in my opinion. And I think a lot of people would be like, he's crazy. You should never see that many people. But again, this is me loving actors and I don't want to say no. And I want everyone to have a shot. So for some roles have seen 400 people. You can't see 400 people if you have to see them live. You just can't. Yeah, not live in person. Not, not if you had maybe one role in the whole movie, sure. But not when you have six series regulars or three leads in the movie. So my process has changed that I can see an exponentially a larger amount of people. What I've done also is I send my favorites from every day to my producers and then come up with a short list as opposed to just bring five people back from three sessions in a producer session. So even producers are getting to experience more actors during the process, at least the way I've been working. And I think a bunch of those people have then been picked for other roles. You know what I mean? Remember that whole thing we used to say, you're not only auditioning for this role, but other things in the future. Well, it's actually true. Like it is true. I have gotten people hired because I'm like, remember from when they read for you for the lead and people got like recurring arcs, six, seven episodes of stuff. For me. Yes, yes. We have been in the rooms enough times to see and hear producers and directors go, oh my God, I love them so much. They're not right for this. I love them so much. And that's right. such a specially fun part of the process to be able right. to say, or so-and-so, exactly. what about them? And to see their face light up and be like, oh my yeah. God, I love that idea. Yeah, that's yeah. really great. And I just did it on Thursday last week. I slipped the producers their audition from the first episode and we're, you know, in season two. So they didn't get the series regular role and they were like, oh my God, I love them. You're right. That's exactly how it went. So yeah. That is a fun incoming call for an agent and an actor. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This thing you didn't audition for, we're offering it to you. Correct. Correct. I mean, it's different my process in that it's mostly done on computers and we miss the human connection, which believe me, I'm going crazy sitting in my bedroom for year three or four. Believe me, nothing would make me happier because I loved being in the room with actors. Nothing made me happier. I say this when I talk to young actors all the time, usually, obviously there's always them one time, but my whole thing was I never liked to have an actor leave not at least putting down one take, they could leave the room and go, okay, I put it down, right? We can read people, it's what we do for a living. You see someone like literally like crumbling inside and I'd be like, do you want to do that again? (laughs) One more time. And they're like, really? And I'm like, yes, this is your audition. Let's do it one more time. And just that moment that they know, okay, I fucking got it out. I got it out. Whether it's my job or not, I got it out and they leave the room. I always tell this very funny story. When Jewel and I were doing Eastbound and Down, the TV show for HBO, we had a hard time finding one of the roles. It was a female role, one of the leads. And my friend, Craig, who was a manager, calls me up and he's, did you see this girl, Katie Mixon, for the part? She just is off a Broadway show. And she's here and you should see her. And I was like, well, get her in because this is the last day, literally. 
She walked in the room <clears throat> and everything was wrong. The read wasn't right, but I knew she was getting this part. And uh, like 10 auditions later, I brought her back. Then we had to bring her back again. Then Jody, the director. Then we had to do a callback. Then a test. Then a And she got the part. But that first time, because she had just come off a of musical theater, she had big curly hair, like a big Southern accent. We had to tone everything down and bring And she became a big TV star, Katie Mix, in the end from that. So you never know. You just, you never know. Now that you are seeing so many self-tapes, yeah. Talk about do's and don'ts. What are things yeah. that you think work? And what are things like, oh, dear Lord, please don't do that. So I, some of the basics are like, don't have the reader be your voice reading the other lines on the tape recorder. Don't have your young sibling because you think it's cute reading. I really stay away from having your mom read the other lines. Every actor knows an actor, I feel. And so just beg somebody to read opposite you. Make a deal. I will always be your reader if you are my reader. I don't care about memorization like many people. I really don't. Um, it's always nice to not have to be staring in your page. But in the end, if just holding it gives you a little more confidence... Just hold it. Sure, maybe if you're going to a, a test in front of a camera with a lead actress as your final read and it's hair and makeup, be off book. But until then, it doesn't bother me. I think the biggest thing that bothers me, like this backdrop would bother me if I was auditioning with this backdrop, with all of this stuff. So I say invest in- Seth is sitting in a room and he has two gorgeous paintings behind him. Oh, and right. It's fancy. Yeah, so. I can share a screenshot of what this will be, but he is in, yeah. I would say, a beautifully decorated room for a Zoom meeting, but it would be distracting if you were auditioning in front yeah. of him. Yeah. I mean, I used to schlep a gray sheet from Bed Bath & Beyond for my pack it up. Like from room to room. <clears throat> and now they have those gray or blue like screens that pop. Just invest in that to put up. I don't care if it's the corner of your room. And then the other thing is just one good light. That's it. Like, I don't need anything fancy. It can be on your iPhone. It doesn't matter. Just the quality, the sound and one good light and a, a flat backdrop. That's my jam. You know, having bookcases and awards and trees and plants. I remember we were doing the How I Met Your Father, the first episode, and a girl had, it was her room and it was a wide shot and she had a vacuum behind her. And we all just were like, did she just vacuum? Yeah, it's the, only thing, gonna you're vacuum? It's the only thing you're focusing on then. Well, just because like of all the things, like move the vacuum. Yeah. That's like, just move the vacuum. Seth. You get a call from a cousin who says, I met this great gal, she's 21, or this great guy, he's 21, he's moving to LA, he wants to be an actor. What advice would you give the person coming to town? So my mother used to do this and still does this to me in grocery stores. I met the nicest checkout boy <laughs> and he wants to be an actor. I'm like, mom, what are you calling? Here's my advice is get in a class. If you're not in some sort of education or honing your skill or working on your craft, there are so many actors in Los Angeles, let alone the rest of the country and now globally. Like if you were a basketball player at the highest level, you'd be in practice for six hours a day. If you were a musician at the highest level, you would be 
in rehearsals every single day. If you are a teacher, you'd be going to seminars to continue your education. You don't learn acting once and it doesn't change. You have to evolve and grow. I remember that summer that I went to Yale, Earl Gister, who was the Dean of Drama, on our last day, there was a big symposium and he spoke and he said, nobody likes an actor that doesn't know where X country is. And what he was saying was, is be educated, learn, study, understand places and things. Things that drive me crazy in auditions is like when people just wreck a word that's like a location or something that you could have just, and now you could do it on your cell phone, like Google, what is this word? So you don't sound silly. I think educating yourself and if you're past going to an undergrad drama program or can't afford grad school, it is your job to have a job to pay for classes to further your education. You have to. When you're in the corporate space, they send us on retreats so that we learn things so we could be better executives. I don't know. Had I done school all over, I wish I went into the film school versus the acting school. I didn't know anybody. I'm just a kid from Florida. I made this career on my own. Literally, I had no help. Nobody said, oh, let me do this for you. I just did it. And I'm still just doing it. And I ask for help because it is the kindness of relationships that recommend you here, recommend you there. Had I not worked to learn and study and understand, people don't want to help you. So my lawyer, he had, he knew a kid from some relationship and said, Seth, he's really handsome, does some modeling from Texas, really wants to get into acting. Will you sit with him? This is when I was a Fox TV executive. And he came in and I said, where are you studying? And he said, I don't really believe in class. And I said, this meeting's over. This is the only time I've ever done this. I full diva momented. And I've never, this is not really who I am, but I was so annoyed that to sit with you and this was your response. And I said, this meeting's over. <clears throat> Here are five names. Get in one of these people's classes. And then after you've done the full, call me back and then we'll have this meeting. I just was like, it's you so don't believe in classes? What? Absolutely. Everything you're saying about continuing education and continual education yeah. is so important. But the other element that classes do is you're building a community. Yeah. Especially when you're first moving here and you're learning other actors, you're learning other techniques, you're seeing how other people would attack a role that's different from you and continuing to broaden yeah. all of your references and your relationships is super, super important. I talked to someone who's a professor now at yeah. theater for the BFA and MFA program. And he said, when his students graduate and they say, what should I do? He goes, get in class. And they look yeah. at him sideways because they're like, we just got to, he's first of all, you know, nothing. Right. <laughs> right. First of all, you know, nothing. You've been um, in these protected walls. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. I remember before streaming was the great equalizer in TV content, having actors come in and them saying, well, I don't watch TV. And I thought, what? how are you not watching film or TV or it's your job to, yes, of course, educate yourself on the greats, the classics, but also see what's out in the world now. Yeah. So two things. When I was a Fox executive, Kevin Riley was the head of our network and we would all talk about TV stuff. And I have a crazy eclectic taste in stuff. Like I love high end and I like it real like basic, right? I would talk about shows I'm watching and Kevin would just like in front of the whole company, he'd be like, 
Seth, you have the weirdest taste and I love every ounce of it. And then your passion to find something in that lower end stuff. It's so great, right? And then to go back, I was a Fox film executive working and there was a casting director named Christian Kaplan in the department. And I can remember working with Christian when the tide changed in the movie business where we had to cast a television actor in a movie role. And this is why, because the the idea was television actors are in people's homes every week. They have a fan base every week. If we could get those television viewing people into the movie theater seats, that's an opening weekend. And I remember Christian starting to go crazy over TV watching to get lists made and everything. The beginning when you were recounting how you, how, what your path was and you said Fox Features, I thought, oh, it's through Christian. Christian yeah, yeah, also yeah. was, I love Christian. Yeah. And I remember that period too, when it was still yeah. ABC Family, right? We were. We used to call you guys all the time and be like, coming. Christian would yes. be once a week and be like, yeah. honey, what do we think about this actor? Yeah, <laughs> we would call Gary all the time and be like, Gary, could we have this actor, you know? Yes. Yes. Totally. Well, I cannot drive home enough is how small of a town this is. Oh, yes. How small of a world it is. Like you were sharing when you were working for Bonnie and yeah. really building relationships with those agents who now are at much different points in their careers. Yes. You are at a much different point in your career and you never know which actor is going to pop off, what yeah. little job is going to be a thing, or I'm sure you have been hired for jobs or had inquiries into your availability from someone that wasn't even really on your radar, but knew you back when you were working yeah. on something and they liked the work you did. That happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. I'm like talking about doing a consultancy right now for a film crew because they worked with Bonnie. I was working with Bonnie and then they were like, oh, you worked with Bonnie. Would you ever do this? And that's 20 years ago, almost right. right? Like, right. you know? Yeah. So, yeah. One of the other things that I think is important to, is to talk about conducting yourself as a professional. Yeah. You have this purview because you've been an executive on film and on TV, yeah. as well as the online casting director on many different projects. And we have all heard the stories of the, what I call is the life is too short actor, the one who is not, yeah. who's, in, who's either investing in outside drama on the set or not learning their lines or yeah. holding things up with, <laughs> holding everyone hostage emotionally, all of yeah. those things, right? Yeah. And it's not about kissing ass. I like to talk about it, Seth, as be the person your grandma would be proud of. For sure. Look, I, I've had it all happen, right? Like I've been physically come at in an audition room. I've been physically come at when I was like the associate and the casting director made people wait over an hour. And yes, that's horrible. And I understand, but why physically try threatening me is going to get you anywhere. I've cast people who we, you hear like, Seth, you cannot hire this person again. They did X, Y, and Z. Or I've also gotten the calls. Thank God you pushed for them to get the part. They are so dreamy. They're so pleasant. They are so supportive of everyone on the set. They know their lines and they're there on time. I've had it all, everything, all right. of it. I've been in the executive chair where we've had to talk to the actor. And I've been the casting director who's called the agent and been like, I'm really bummed that we fought so hard for this actor and they're misbehaving. Or I've been the casting director who on many occasions 
has called the agent and been like, look, you need to talk to your actor. I think there's something going on. I don't know if drugs and alcohol are at play. Once or twice I've called like, I'm nervous about their thinness. I really do care about the human in front of me. And all the different things that we all go through on a human level happen to actors. You need to take care of people. If you're a manager and an agent, you're signing up for it all, not just getting them a job. Yeah, I've done it all. I've been dad and friend and boss and it's hard, but like the one thing I would say is know your lines, be respectful to your actors. Don't talk bad to the hair and makeup people or the wardrobe people. One is trying to do their job at the highest level they can. And you don't know what's preventing them potentially, whether it's another department or the director. So getting upset with them only reflects bad on you. And it gets back to us. And I beg you to leave your stuff at the door to the best of your ability and show up. It comes back to us no matter what. Like you said at the beginning, we're the first to be blamed and the last to get credit. So believe me, we hear when it's not going well. Yes, listen, this is, it's a bunch of humans working with a bunch of other humans. There's a lot of money on the line. We live dynamic lives in front of and behind the camera. These are artists. These are creative. These are deeply feeling people. And there are going to be times to your point where actors are going to be on set and something fucked up is going to happen or someone else is not going to be handling themselves well. Right. And it's not suck it up and suffer through it. It's go through the right channels, talk to your agent or manager, let them go to the right places. Don't try and handle it on set or have a reaction in a way that is in the long run going to disturb your peace and your process as an actor. Yeah. And look, like, look, we've all lived through Me Too and all of this stuff. So obviously nobody should ever suffer at the hands of somebody else. Not at all what I'm saying. Like, I'm saying if you are hired for a job, do your job and protect yourself in the right way. Acting out, staying in your trailer and refusing to come out or fighting with the hair person because you don't like it. Actors, you don't get to choose your hair necessarily. Eventually, maybe you will get input, but you know, so I uh, I just, you know, that's the big thing is that I beg people to, like you said, make sure your grandma would give her stamp of approval on this performance. Yes, yes for sure. <laughs> from for start sure. to finish. So I also watch everything, high, low. I'm so curious to know, what are you watching now? What are you loving now? So I binged Dead to Me final season this weekend. And the magic that those two girls have on screen, like their non-speaking stuff to their speaking stuff. I I watched this like, this is on the, but it's this (laughs) British series called The Bastard Son and the Devil Himself. And it's like about witches. I like, I loved it. The characters were fun. Watched slumberland which was a movie on netflix with my kids it's marlo barkley who we put in single parents as one of the kids but it's a fantasy kyle chandler plays the dad and jason momoa is the odd elf it was just fun my kids loved it which was like awesome we did it saturday night let's see what else you know i love my housewives so that's but that's reality wait are you do you watch every single housewife yeah 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 
I mean, I'm not a big Salt Lake City, but my ex is a Salt Lake City fan. And so we sometimes watch it just because like he's watching it and I'm like, okay, Yellow Jackets and White Lotus. And I do watch How I Met Your Father, partly because I work on it, but really I actually love the ensemble. And Tian Tran, who is like a young comedy gal, I, I love watching her, but Hillary, I think, is killing it. And if people haven't discovered it yet, she really has grown and developed into a true comedian. It's So it's pretty fun to watch. What else? Pam and Tommy, I loved. You did. I, I thought she got robbed of that Emmy, to be honest with you. What she did, and to hear she sat in five hours of makeup to get everything... I just, it was like, ooh. you know, I worked on Hands Made Tale when I was at MGM. So I watched three seasons. I think we did season four and five, but I watched three seasons and I was like, honestly, we're living this. It is so hard to watch. But since Biden was president two years ago, I was like, okay, I can get back into it. The world <laughs> is at least a little better. Yeah, I literally will pick something up and bang it out in a day now. I love the streaming aspect of the binge. I know people are like, I don't want to. I want to like marinate on it. I watched the Lord of the Rings. I watched the new Game of Thrones. So I watch the Kardashians because I'm obsessed with the empire they have built. I think it's amazing. So I watch it all. Are you are you a theater guy? Do you go see theater? Oh yeah. One of the one of the pluses of being an executive yes. is that you get to travel to New York on the your company's dime. So, you know, I would do a theater trip every year and I'd go for five days. I'd do two shows a day when I could. I'd I'd go Saturday, go from the airport to the theater, two on Sunday, I did it all. I have not seen the inheritance in LA, which I'm about to. I know. Phenomenal. I know. Yeah. So I was supposed to go to opening night because I'm friendly with Tuck and they had a COVID case and someone yes. broke their arm they and it got they had pushed. To push. Yes. Yeah. Are you seeing both parts? Yeah. I'm really excited for you. It's it's beautiful. It's like yeah. what, what Matthew Lopez yeah. wrote and the actors that are in it. Yeah. Tuck Watkins, what yeah. Brock what Bill Brockdrop does is like I know. It's so phenomenal. It's really good. And yeah. LA theater, we always had good theater. Yeah, I feel like everyone has stepped up their game, especially like what Center Theater Group is doing, things that happen at the t Taper and the Amundsen yeah. and Gaffin is doing. And the well, the Gaffin has always been. I feel like LA got, had such a bad theater rap for so long that they had no choice but to like up their game. And I used to have a subscription to the Amundsen and a subscription to the Gaffin. So I saw it all every season. I've seen amazing theater in LA. Yeah. Yep. There's, there was something, Isabella Rossellini was just doing a one woman show. I was dying to see it, but there's also a lot of interesting experimental, like the Broad Theater in Santa Monica. Yeah, yeah. At least once a season, Mikhail Baryshnikov will have something that it's usually based on a Chekhov something, but it's movement yeah. and sound and the lighting. Yeah. In I just saw a one-man show last week. This director-writer, David Mandel, at the Typewriter Theater on Wilshire near downtown. Dynasty Typewriter? Dynasty, Dynasty typewriter. typewriter, yeah. And you get nervous. You're like, oh, what's this going to be? It was intense. And I sent him a note after. And like his calmness and the way he moved between the characters on stage was so calm and methodical 
And really, like, when he put Ike's eyeglasses on to do one character, like, in that, this little motion, it was so confident and perfectly paced that you really, your mind went, oh, he's, it's, you're, you were, like, in the other character. Like, it was awesome. It was awesome. I should see more theater. I have kids. It's hard. Yeah. I'm well, tired. And the, I mean, that you say dynasty, dynasty typewriter, there also is, there's an incredible comedy scene here, yeah. a comedy yeah. theater scene. They opened yeah. down the block from me on Mineco Park, the Elysian Theater, which is a bunch of folks that came from Lyric Hyperion. Oh, I um, love Lyric Hyperion. Yes. And I so, used to see stuff all there, there all the time. All of those voices. All, that's the other thing I would say to actors, go see comedy. Go see comedy, yeah. go check out all of these other- I mean, I used to sit in UCB with a pad and literally write names. If you go back and look at the movie Jewel and I did, Starship Dave, which was an Eddie Murphy movie, look at all of the supporting, it's Ed Helms. It's like all the old UCB guys before they were, yes. you know what I mean? Like I would sit and literally cast UCB person in this, like all the day players, just from sitting at Groundlings or UCB. Yep. When it was that theater on Franklin and they would do three shows yeah. and as casting and just go see like one, two, three. <laughs> and then eat it at the Boulangerie next door. and La Poubelle or Birds. La Poubelle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I mean, that was three nights a week, you know? Yes. Yeah. I, I, I just love it so much. I just yeah. love watching performers. I love the creative process. I love- But it's also like for us, I mean, you know, I still, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I still cast people off of commercials. Like I watch commercials. I'm looking for talent. If any of my staff or assistants or any of my old associates, you call them up, they'll be like, oh yeah, he used to send us like emails at 1030 at night being like, and this is all the email would say, because I'd have to go so fast because you have 60 seconds or 30 seconds. It'd be like AT&T, girl, big hair, blue t-shirt, just so I could get it out. And then they'd be like, I'm sorry, what were you talking about last night? And I'd be like, I was watching an AT&T commercial. <laughs> the lead girl had big hair and she was in a blue t-shirt. We need to find her. And I've cast a ton of people. It reminds me when I worked for Bonnie and I was her associate, she would come in in the morning every morning with a napkin, like falling apart with like red wine stains and like a hundred names. And she'd be like, put them on a list. Cause she would sit at her hotel cause she was a New Yorker in LA and she would just write names. They would just come out of her brain. And I had to find them, call the agent, see their avail. Like, and totally, so, totally. yeah. I love the reminder of finding people in commercials. We all, every casting director does it. And yeah. on Facebook, you know, the very few reasons we still go to Facebook, there are private yeah. casting director groups. Yes. And there will be when you can't find that girl yeah. in the blue t-shirt with the big hair right. in the AT&T commercial, yeah. a casting director will say, I'm looking for this person or we'll do a screenshot. Do you yeah. know who they are? So actors, we're looking for you and at you yeah. in everything you're doing. Seriously, I don't know if he still allows it, but I used to release it on breakdown to the agents because then every agent would get it and they'd be like, oh, I have that person, you know? So I'm always looking. Are you doing generals right now via? via um, I've done a couple and most recently I like, I've had a couple coffees as well with actors. The one thing about generals is that is really the moment to connect with people and yes. learn about them. And that I will say is harder to me via Zoom 
than an audition where they're performing and I can see the performance. Because if you think about it, we watch performance on a screen unless we're casting theater. So it's a little easier for me that. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I've been a little more selective about my generals of recent because of the whole COVID thing and working from home versus not. But yeah. Now that you can see more actors audition, the need for generals is not the same, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Seth, this has been such a fabulous conversation. Thank you. <laughs> what have we not covered? Is there something that you feel like is important for actors to know or something you would like to highlight? Yeah, look, here's my thing. The two things that I say, and we did touch on it, but I'll reiterate it, is sure, if you're Francine Maisler or maybe David Rubin, it's a different level, right? But like, we really are all the same in this business trying to get it done. Like I said, like, we still go up for jobs. We still get rejected from jobs. We still miss out on the jobs. Or we're still like, God, I would love to have cast that and I didn't even get a shot. I get it. Hustling is all I can say. And then this leads me to my other thing that I always say is, if you go to bed, you wake up, you spend your day thinking about acting, or being an actor, in my case, about casting and how I would do it, you got to do it. It's what your call is, as it were, you know? I think the big thing is to, like, take a look in the mirror. Be honest with who you are and how you are perceived and present. Because not that we should adjust ourselves, but we should all understand our superpower and go with it. You know what I mean? Yes, it might be amazing to be in The Northman with Nicole Kimmon, but if you're never going to get that language down, it's not your job. You can't have every job. We can't possibly be right for every job out there. So if we're honest with who we are and live in that zone, but still push boundaries and break out of the wall a little, I feel like we all get to be successful. And what I mean by that is if making a half a million dollars as a voiceover actor every year, that is successful. If going from show to show all year, that's successful. If being on a TV show for one year at a time and then getting another recurring, that's successful. Yes, obviously we understand, you know, Ellen Pompeo, 19 years of Grey's Anatomy is an anomaly in and itself, but that's a successful television actor. We all know the Tom Cruises and the Brad Pitts and the Julia Roberts and Sandra Bullocks are successful. But think about Beth Grant, one of the most amazing, delicious, interesting character actresses. She's never stopped working. Like, she is a successful working character actress. She's a genius, I would actually say. Yep. Like, and but every you know time I mean? you see her pop up, it's like, <gasps> Beth Grant! I mean, like, when I got to cast her in that Sandra Bullock, I have chills right now. Like, it was one of those days where you're just like, oh my God, I cast Beth Grant, finally! So I just feel like there's so many versions of successful. I know I've been successful. Like, people like me. I love my job. People want to work with me. I have people fighting for me. And I know I'm successful. But yes, I have drive and passion. And I want better or more. You just, you got to keep the hustle, honey. You know what I mean? Like, it's we so just got to keep the hustle. It's so true. And Seth, I love that you gave breath to that 
to the difference between working in this industry and making your living in this industry, and you just gave so many examples of it, it's such a wonderful and fabulous thing once you get to that place. Right. I have found a lot of young actors have in their head that the only place they want to go is Brad Pitt, where there's so many rungs on the ladder before we get there. And only 1%, I think it is, become Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. I can remember sitting in seven or whatever the Tisch building is on Broadway. I wanted to say 740, but I don't, 820, whatever it is, going, okay, I'm not going to be Tom Cruise. And I think I'm too gay to be on a soap opera. I don't know if I want to be an actor. Like I can still remember that moment, having that realization as crazy as it was because and for me it was I needed to find my passion which I thank God did when I got that casting internship I understand that I'm an anomaly to have been like given this chance at Tish not wanted it and then immediately found what I have spent my next 20 years and plus doing hopefully knock on wood but that doesn't happen for everyone just again keep fighting for this career because you never know the right role in the right moment. I mean, what do they say? Anthony Hopkins didn't hit it until he was 60, right? Is that, isn't that the old adage? Like he got Silence of the Lambs, I think he was 60. I don't know, but all these people, they spend a ton of time worrying about becoming famous and not like becoming great actors who then get fame. It's- That's part of our culture right now too. Absolutely. And you're also talking about following the heat, right? So for you, you went to Tish, don't want to be an actor, but you knew you love movies. You knew you didn't want to have to take a math and science class. But the heat for you was in the area. Dax Shepard and Monica Padman had a very popular podcast. And Monica was, it was the Jerry Seinfeld episode. I listened to it this morning before we hopped on. She was talking about this a little bit too, because she went to UCB. She was working as their nanny, their babysitter. They started to get to know her, realize how funny she was. She was writing. But she said to Jerry Seinfeld, podcasting wasn't a thing. When I was coming up, she wanted to go to UCB. She wanted to be an actor. She knew she wanted to be in Los Angeles. And now where she is, she found something that she's wonderful at. And so, so that was the other thing. You can be on the path and still not even know exactly what it is. But if you're in a place where you're feeling the heat, where you feel like you're getting exciting, excited, you're nurturing yourself. I think that's (laughs) the thing too, when you are in the business as a creative, lean into the things where you feel like you are able to express yourself. Yeah, I think it also shows and plays outwardly, right? So then it's infectious and then people want to work with you because of how excited you are or how well you do it. And what's the old adage? Work begets work. It's why I I always say to Ben, my casting partner, Stephanie, our associate, let's take this job and release a breakdown because then our name's out there and agents are talking about us. And it might be tough this one, but maybe the next one will be easier or the next one will come faster because we've been working on this one. I got a job during the pandemic because UTA agents recommended me to Sebastian Gutierrez and Carla Gugino. They were trying to put together a show and obviously UTA knew I had just left MGM and was looking like, You know what I mean? Like the building block and like crazy 
two weeks over for four weeks. Like I was nonstop. Two of them were over Christmas break two years ago. Like who works over Christmas break? But I didn't care because I wanted to work. And Sebastian is so creative. And I love Carla Gugino as an actress to be on the phone with her. I was like a little fanboy. So always like how you put yourself out there and how you present, I think helps also garner. I love the building blocks. I also loved earlier, Seth, when you were talking about what is your superpower? Yes, I think my superpower is really my ability to know who's going to get the part. And even if people don't know it yet, and then get them there. Because it's happened multiple times, and I'm not even like patting myself on the back, where we can't find it, we can't find it. And I, I did the pre-reads, and I'm like, oh, oh, okay. And I've said, which you're never supposed to say, but I've said to like the director, like in the producer session, the person coming in next is who we're going to cast. And they're like, don't say that. And we've cast them, right? Even on How I Met Your Father, I won't say the role, but we saw so many people and I kept going, guys, this is the person. And they were like, well, and I was like, but this is the person. And they were like, well, and she has the job, right? But it just, I think truly my superpower is I can hook in at that moment. I know, like, I just know they are getting this part, you know? So I love those examples because you're also bringing up the casting process is different in every single process. Right? Every time. Again, it's dynamic. It's different. We've had people walk in the first session. We know it's going to be the person. Right. Or, but then they will see for six more months before they yeah. get there. It's also yeah. a very emotional process. And it's the balancing that the casting director has to do because you want your decision makers to yes. feel like, they empowered. made the decision, exactly, empowered that they made the decision, but that it also is truly their choice. They get it, they feel it, and it happens differently for every single role in every single project. Totally. Yeah, totally. It's, re it's really fascinating. It's a yeah. really fascinating thing. And it sometimes is. frustrating and, and sometimes beautiful, but it's really fascinating. Yeah, And usually frustrating leads to m m more beautiful yes. in that moment, but yes, yes. nonetheless, nonetheless, yes. yeah. The creative process. Seth, my last question for you yeah. is, what made you happy this past week? Oh, here's what made me happy. You know, these are the slow months of this business. And much like actors, who stop working and then the world shuts down between Thanksgiving and Christmas, really New Year's. And I'm lucky I have one show that's paying me, but I have kids and a family. And I said to myself, like, you're not going to panic. You are going to hustle. This was like the last two weeks. But this week I got two small movies because I have to take care of my casting partner, my associate. I have a lot. And I got two small movies. And so I'm really happy that one is hyper artistic and the other's like hyper commercial. And I'm okay, like we hustled, we got the jobs, and now we're gonna hopefully score for these directors. And just being able to work with an English director and his producer wife, which couldn't be more different than the other director who's like a meat and potatoes New York TV director, it's just awesome. It's awesome because there couldn't be more different, and that's what I love to do. I did Billy the Kid for Epics, and I'm doing How I Met Your Father. Couldn't be more opposite. Like, I've been very lucky to walk the middle road of comedy and drama, like true comedy and drama, and it's because I've been trained well, and I've had people take risks and give me work, like Paw Patrol 2. 
as a movie. Because I was like, I have kids. My son was obsessed with Paw Patrol. Please let me cast it. Do you know what I mean? So anyway, I digress and went way past the week, you know, and we're all healthy in my house and knock on wood. That's what really makes me happy. But anyway, yeah. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise. I feel like we finally got to hang out. This has been a fabulous conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks. Sorry for the pushes and my kid got strep throat. It was like crazy. And this has unfolded in in this we're meeting and talking on the day that we should be meeting and talking. Yeah, for sure. So no apologies needed. Thanks, Elizabeth. Appreciate you. Thank you, you. darling. Have a great holiday. All right. Have a great holiday. You too. Bye. Bye. I hope you have a delightful day today and share the love. Tell someone that you appreciate them. Tell them you're glad they exist. Thanks for listening. Please share this podcast on your socials and with any artists you think would dig it and send me your questions. I have many more casting folks coming in to share with you all. See you next time.